if you are any size business, whether you're, you know, you got a couple of guys working for you or you run like a uh, hundred people like all over the place every day, if you can keep tabs on your gross margin and you have a healthy gross margin number that you shoot for and really kind of measure to how you relate to that, your business is going to be fine. I think a lot of times people overthink business in general. In this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast, I've got Tom Lopatoski, a past guest, owner of Lopco Contracting in the Rhode Island area, joining me for another episode. Tom is always an awesome guest, and he shared some awesome things on the episode that we did last year. I don't know the number of that off the top of my head, although I probably should for the sake of recording this. Anyhow, we have Tom joining me. We cover a whole bunch of stuff here. We talk a little bit about offline marketing, how his business has fared during COVID-19, how he purchased a newspaper That will ultimately impact his contracting business. And then towards the end of it, we jump into a little bit about numbers and kind of the number that makes sense and what he looks for in his business in terms of management and operational efficiency and finances. So on that note, let's jump into this conversation with Tom Lopatoski. Tom, welcome to the Contractor Momentum Podcast. Hey, thanks, Corey. It's great to be here. Great to be back is what you should say, man. We great had you on. Back, yeah. We we had you on for a recording over a year ago. It was an awesome episode. You talked about community involvement, told us a lot about your business then. You know, just to kind of jump back and recap, well, I mean, where was your business at about a year ago? And you know, what does it look like today? Have you guys grown anything, remained about the same? Obviously, in between this time last year and now, there's been a big speed bump called COVID-19 that's came up. So Tell us a little bit about your business now and maybe, you know, how COVID has affected some of it. Yeah, no, we've definitely maintained a steady trek upwards through the last year. We actually, believe it or not, experienced a little bit of a turbo boost because of the COVID. How did that happen? Oh, I'm sure you're going to come to that. So get to that. But I'm curious to know how that's <laughs> going to, how that plays into this. Where do you get a turbo boost out of COVID? Well, and again, this depends on which state you're located in. So in Rhode Island, construction was deemed an essential business. You go to some of the other states, they were completely shut down and there's all varying degrees of being shut down. This, you know, certainly would not have had a shot of happening, but because we're an essential business, what happened was we were able to stay open and folks were home, found themselves home more so than they've ever been in conjunction with the fact that they probably had a little bit more disposable income than they normally would have in building up in the kitty because they're not going on vacation as much, not going to restaurants, mall, etc. And so the next thing, one thing leads to another, they're looking to get a lot of these projects done that they're kind of staring at and inventing as they've been staying home. We weren't sure what was going to happen at first. We experienced a three-week period at the end of March and beginning of April where our phone lines were kind of like crickets. It's very unusual for that time of year over here because that's when our phones really kind of start to ramp up. But we had these crickets going on, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know. I mean, I was comfortable from a production standpoint because we. I know we had, you know, several months of work already booked on the docket to kind of get to, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen beyond that. And then after we passed that three-week period, just phew, everything exploded because of what I just said with the folks being home, getting these projects to the forefront because they realized they're going to be spending a lot more time at home than they normally yeah. would and having a little bit of extra money to do it. So yeah, it's been pretty crazy. That's what we experienced too down here. Same thing in Southwest Florida and our exterior projects. There was a two-week period in March. Things started getting real scary. The first week in April, you know, by that point, we'd adapted to the scare, right? At that point, we, we'd kind of figured out how much work we had on the books and we kind of made some adjustments to the calendar. You know, we kind of reduced to a four-day work week for our crews. 
you know, and, and kind of strung the projects out. And then kind of pretty much kind of around April 10th there, it's like, I don't know, it's like somebody flipped the light switch and said, you know, you guys can begin making money again. And, <laughs> you know, things just kind of picked up and things kind of went on. I got to say, there have been a few funny cases, and I'm sure you've had some of these that you can relate to, where customers think that you must be starving, right? So we get these people that <laughs> email and they never call and say this because it's not something you'd want to relay directly in a phone call. So it was email in and they're like, you know, since you guys are slow, are you ready to make a deal? And you're like... <laughs> I mean, we've gotten a few dozen of those emails. Mind you, you know, we're, we're talking to over a thousand leads a month at least, but we get a few dozen of those. We've gotten a few dozen of those emails. I don't think we've had any of those for a couple of weeks now, but we're getting a run of those and you're, you're just kind of like on the inside, you're laughing. You just re- politely respond, no, you know, our, our calendar is actually booked out a few weeks and go on from there. So that's been good. We've been fortunate here in Florida. I know, I know a contractor, I know a few contractors out in Oregon out there. And I know that's kind of one of those states that's been more heavily shut down by COVID-19. The the three I know out there, I know three of them pretty well that I've had some dialogue with. They kind of say that things are, uh, how should I say, I don't want to say more desperate, but they're a lot slower. You know, they're, they're not really seeing the, the rebound that we have, you know, but I have no doubt here in the next couple months that things are going to come back. And maybe in the past few weeks, things have came back. By the time this episode airs, because you know, I'm a few weeks behind on actually publishing them, things will probably be back to normal. I hope, you know, we, we can all hope for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I hope so because like, I have a few other business interests that really depend on that, you know, and I don't know if normal in Florida means the same thing as it does in Rhode Island, vice versa compared to Oregon. I mean, I really, I mean, to me, it's just kind of like, you know, I'm just trying to be patient and see what that actually looks like when we're, we're through it and, you know, just hope that we do get through it and that this whole thing doesn't just, you know, flare back up as we head into the fall and into the winter, you know? Yeah, let's hope that we don't have to cross that bridge again. But I know being primarily in the outdoor living space with my services and you do, well, tell our audience what you do primarily, what your services are, because we really didn't cover it. Yeah, I mean, a good portion of our stuff is exterior and, you know, I'd say the overwhelming majority of it's probably exterior oriented. You know, a good 20 to 30% is interior, which is slightly higher than it has been traditionally, which is fine. I personally like the outdoor work from a business standpoint, the way that we've always done it. I enjoy it. And like this year in Rhode Island, our spring was very rainy in April. But outside of that, you know, the weather's been knocking wood pretty decent in the last several weeks. So we've been able to kind of catch up and make some headway and stuff. So to kind of be more specific though, you guys are doing painting wood restoration, like old structural restoration. I know that. Correct. Yep. Anything else that I'm missing? Any big pieces of the pie? I mean, we kind of hit it right in the head. We do a lot of exterior painting and repair work. Uh, we do interior painting. There are a lot of niche oriented businesses that uh, we do chase, but our, our biggest crux of what we do is painting and repair work overall. Painting and So, well, for exterior painting, the, the season for that basically across the U.S. kind of runs March through October, you know, so at least in Tom and I's business, if we, if we don't get a flare up until November, you know, uh, we'll, we'll still be, we'll still be pretty good here in this kind of thing. And in the, in the COVID situation, COVID world, whatever we're calling this thing that we're all kind of uh, cooped up in, you know, so you mentioned one of the key things I heard you say there was that you had a bunch of work into it, you know, a bunch of work on the books when you were going into it. Yeah. You know, and obviously I think you would agree that was kind of a, I don't want to say a lifesaver, but that prevented you from losing any sleep. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. No, I wasn't. I certainly wasn't worried about the short term because of the backlog that we had, but I had a little bit of concern and a watchful eye in terms of what was going to happen 
moving forward, you know, but that kind of worked itself out as, you know, the scare about a month period of time kind of shook itself out and, you know, I think we've been knocking wood. We've been good over it ever since, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I see a lot of people doing, well, I guess two things I see that a lot of people do is they, number one, don't keep enough work on the books. They get overwhelmed. They're like, oh, we're three to four weeks out. And mentally they might, you know, feel like they're further out. They might feel more overwhelmed and start feeling like they're six to eight weeks. And really they're only three to four weeks out. You know, they don't accept any new projects. When you get that booked out with work, raise your prices a little bit and, you know, tell people you're booked out and keep, you know, keep selling. You got to kind of keep selling and keep, keep the food on the table, so to say, and not, not get too focused on, well, you know, I got so much in front of me right now. I just want to get this done and stop selling and, you know, cut all my advertising. Cause I've seen a lot of people cut advertising too. I do a lot of work with other contractors on marketing. And some of you guys might know about the market domination method and all that. And I see a lot of people that when things started kind of going off a cliff, everyone's like cut advertising. Well, ultimately what happens, you know, the tide turned relatively quick as Tom and I were just kind of discussing there by the middle or early April, things had kind of turned. Well, if you'd stopped your marketing, you don't know when the tide exactly turns or you're not going to catch that big tide when it comes back in. So, you know, marketing consistent, I think, is something that's key. Absolutely. And there was never a more important time to get every dollar you could possibly get and put it into marketing than that period of time when everybody was scared out of their mind with things. The reason being is because all your competitors, regardless of the industry that they're in, are pulling all their ads. They're dropping all their advertising. So it's like this big open window for you to kind of capitalize. And exactly. Assuming you're in a good yeah. position and you're hitting the right advertising in the right market, dude, you got to go all in at that point. You got to put your foot on the gas because, you know, this particular situation, folks were home more than they've ever have been. And if you could figure out a way to reach them in their home and market to them, nobody else is doing that. Everybody else is backing away and running for the hills and just like hiding in the sand, so to speak. That's your time to kind of be out there and be like, look, this is what we do. You know, you, there's an old saying somebody told me a long time ago is like, you can't sell a secret. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you're like, you know, kind of go, hiding in the bed with the covers over your heads, you're not going to, people are going to be knowing that you're out there. You're not going to be there to be able to take advantage of that type of situation where, you know, yeah, it was scary for us several weeks, but like ultimately in our industry, at least in our position, we were able to kind of really, you know, take advantage of a, a situation where a lot of folks just get scared and stop doing things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's less people spending money on ads. So on all the digital platforms, your cost per whatever metric you're using for advertising is going down. Yeah. And because there's less people, you know, you're getting more attention. You don't have to try so hard to stand yeah. out. And then, and then you get exactly. the first wave when it comes back. So all yeah. the people, all the people that are waiting for the market to turn around, quote unquote, they're waiting to hear about it from you, but you're going to catch all the customers that they could have had, but aren't going to get. So uh, absolutely. And yeah. like people, because people were so scared about getting involved in the marketing and new advertising, things of that nature, there are tremendous deals to be had across platforms. For, yeah. Were you, were you able to scoop up any deals? Yeah, of course. Yeah. What did you get? Well, one of the biggest things that we got is something that we never delved into before, which is, or really delved into, was which was a piece on TV, where it's a local TV station, it's one of the higher rated local TV stations, and you know we did they did a piece on us called Who to Know. It, it's about a minute and a half. It just profiles us as a business, and they were giving us bonus spots left and right all over the news. And, 
you know, like people who are watching the news more than they ever have been because they were interested in knowing what's going on. So we get a ton of work off that. And it was it was like a regular what we agreed to do plus like a ton of bonus spots. So it was a perfect storm. It's just one, one example. And I mean, yeah. that was, that was tremendous for us. I know, I know a few guys in the HVAC space that do a lot of TV and radio. And for those of you guys listening out there, I do a ton of marketing, but I'm primarily sticking on lines with on lines, online with things. I primarily stick online, you know, so you, you kind of, you don't really buy long-term contracts when you're online, but for the radio and TV spots, you know, they book and they make deals for six months, et cetera. And a lot of people are able to renegotiate and get twice the exposure, you know, for the same amount of cost as they were before. And, you know, some people really, I don't want to say got lucky because it's not luck. They were savvy and they had enough conviction and really took advantage of that and are going to get some, a ton of great exposure over what was everybody else's fear in the market. True. Yeah. So are you going to be making TV more of a part of your integral advertising at this point? I don't know. It's something I've been going back and forth with just because, yeah, we caught lightning in a bottle with this whole thing, but I'm not sold that a hundred percent that it's a long-term kind of solution for us. It may be, you know, but I get to really kind of do a little bit more thinking in that regard. Yeah. But it's certainly more of a possibility to happen now than it ever has been after seeing what I saw. You know? Yeah, for sure. What other forms of marketing do you do? Well, actually, heck, let's just go into it here. I know you bought a newspaper, so I was gonna, and I know that ties into your advertising. So you were advertising the newspaper, you bought the newspaper. Let's walk walk me through this here, because I don't know anybody that has bought a newspaper, and I don't know many people that would buy a newspaper, considering the big digital trend and the big trend of hey, newspaper is dying. Yeah. Well, one of the big concepts of realizing why this particular acquisition on our end is so valuable, is recognizing that direct mail, although a lot of people may think it's archaic, is not going to go away. And it's probably even more important now than it ever has been from an attention-grabbing standpoint because so many people have backed off it. But if you think about it, who does direct mail? Like Amazon, Google, they still do a whole bunch of direct mail that's out there to kind of generate what they're doing. They're doing that should tell you something. You know, number one. Yeah. Okay, so... Going back to the newspaper thing, I write a variety of home improvement articles every month. They're published in a number of publications. Some of them are monthly, some of them are you know quarterlies, etc. But all of them are you know good in terms of exposure, good in terms of helping us being positioned as the expert in home improvement in our marketplace. But none of them really generate a ton amount of business, except for this one publication we were having our article written. And so every month our home improvement column would run in this publication. We get an experience influx of business just from having the home improvement column in there. But the problem with this one publication was that sometimes the article ran, sometimes the column did not. When it, And I was always on pins and needles when I submitted it to the editor because if they had space for it, they put it in. If they didn't, then they wouldn't. But I knew that if it ran, we'd just see an uptick in, from this particular lead source of you know, folks calling in and legitimately hiring us to work. And I couldn't really figure out why it was working. This went on for a couple of years, and one thing led to another, and I found out that at one point in time, the owner of the publication was looking to sell it because he just had just general life stuff he wanted to focus on and wanted to divest himself of some of the other responsibilities that he had. And you know, I, I thought it was curious when I seen him do this. I reached out to him and asked if he wanted to have a conversation about things. Sat down with him, and you know, we both talked a little bit about, about everything. He didn't want to sell out to like a big national conglomerate or a regional conglomerate that may or may not keep his staff. He kind of wanted to keep it local, wanted to make sure his staff was going to stay on with whoever he sold it to. 
me, I wasn't really looking for anything like this, but like the magazine was a very solid footing financially, had a very good staff. And I just thought of it, hey, if I buy this thing, like I can make sure that my uh, column runs every month. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward over a period of time and we acquired the publication. In doing so, we realized why it was so successful. And this ties into that direct mail conversation. Yeah, so t- talk more about it. You're calling it a publication, but more specifically, what is going out to people and how's it going to people? Yep. It's basically a magazine that's sent. It's focused in a town. It's called the Smithfield Times. It's focused on Smithfield, Rhode Island. And literally, it's mailed to every single homeowner in the town of Smithfield, which even if you were just approaching it from a direct mail standpoint, has very solid demographics top to bottom. And, you know, literally every homeowner gets it in their mailbox every month. And it's available, like a lot of the other publications in town at doctor's offices, restaurants, that type of thing. But the power is that it gets hand-delivered literally to every single person that owns a home in the Thomas Smithfield. So hand-delivered, though, as in put in their mailbox. Put in their mailbox, yes. Put in their mailbox. And what does it look like? I mean, is this, is it black and white like a newspaper? Because that's what we kind of referred to it as earlier. Is this color? Is it, you know, an eight and a half by 11? Or is it some other size? Yeah, it looks like a magazine, but it's on newspaper stock almost, and it's full color. So the whole thing through and through is full color. So they kind of like curl it up to stick it in the mailbox. Yep. So they probably just wrap your mail, yeah. put your mail there, wrap it yep. around it, stick it in the mailbox, you know, which is another part of the beauty of it because you have to open it to get you yeah. mail, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it literally looks like a magazine. Yep. Cool. You know, size-wise, it's, you know, we run about 44 pages right now. So about 44 pages going out to everybody in you know one specific city, and how often is it going out? Monthly, once a month. So going out monthly, and well, now you own it, so you can run whatever you want to run in it. <laughs> what are you running in there? Before, let's go back, let's kind of back step. Before you owned the actual publication, what types of content were you running in there that was getting you the you know actual returns and results that made you want to actually buy the publication? Literally, all I was doing was a home improvement column like I would do in any other publication. We also, we send out an email once a week to our clients, to our client database, I should say, that just gives a home improvement tip every week. And it's literally nothing different than what would be in there. I mean, it could be like a painting tip or a roofing tip or an electrical tip or whatever. And just by putting that article in there, that's what was giving us all the giving us all the positive feedback from a, a dollars and cents standpoint. What a lot of these magazines and newspapers have, typically in terms of their breakdown, they typically have 60% ads and 40% content. Ours is the reverse of that. Ours is 60% content and 40% ads. I mean, it's important to kind of keep that ratio for us. It, it is actually a very good publication with a huge diversity in the amount of articles and things that it talks about. And most of it is centered around what's going on in this town of Smithfield. So it is, it is an interesting read, particularly if you're a Smithfield resident. And then the advertisers, we have a, a, as diverse array of advertisers in there as we do, you know, stories of the different things that we're doing as well. It's a, it's a pretty different magazine all through and through. Yeah, so you're keeping a lot of, you know, you're keeping it content-based in, in the magazine, not totally plastering them with ads. But what you're actually sending out for your business is a tip, just kind of general home improvement tips. Oh, that's what I always did before owning the magazine. Now, I still have the tip. <laughs> I also have like a big old Lofco contracting ad full, somewhere along the middle. Yeah, a, a, full, a full page ad in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So beyond the beyond the publication that you bought, well, what else is working in the offline world in terms of marketing? Are are you doing other magazines as well? Are you buying other magazines? Are we are we going to have the Tom Lopko conglomerate of local publications? You never know. The only thing that interests me in line of like that type of conversation would be a similarly type of distributed publication. So a publication that came out like monthly that would be able to be mailed to every home in a desirable town demographically you know i mean if it didn't do that then it wouldn't i mean i wouldn't be interested in doing it you know like it's kind of like there's two different ways you can get these papers you know newspapers and magazines in general one is typically you'll just pick it up at like the market if they're free publications or whatever or the sandwich shop or whatever or you go out of your way and subscribe to them this it does none. i mean it don't matter. If you live in Smithfield, you're getting a copy of this magazine. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It would have to be a similar type of situation like that, but who knows? But outside of that offline stuff that we're doing, we've always done tremendously well in AM talk radio. There's a station in Rhode Island that does local talk radio that for over 15 years now we've been on and does, does awesome. I would say if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, you know, networking stuff that we've done, like live and in person, we've actually been able to capitalize on that quite, quite a bit over the years. But right now, it would be the radio, the TV stuff, the newspaper. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we're really getting into right now. Oh, we do a, a snail mail newsletter once a month. So everybody in our database gets, uh, gets an offline letter as well. Gets an offline like, newsletter, yeah. Yeah, so a little bit of uh, horizontal integration there. Since you bought the actual newspaper company, you, you have the method of actually getting all that stuff out. That's pretty right. cool. Doing anything in terms of online marketing or is you keeping it with offline? We do a little bit. You know, we do a bit of SEO. We do a bit of Google, some stuff with, you know, keyword stuff in Google that might be similar to other folks, what other folks are doing. We do a month, a weekly, uh, we call it an e-newsletter where they get them the weekly home improvement tip in their email box, anybody in our, our email system. You know, we post to social media here and there, but we haven't really aggressively went after it. But I think that's the biggest stuff that we're doing online. Biggest stuff. Now, our last episode that we did last year was, may I mention this earlier, was all about your community involvement. And that is essentially a very big marketing tool, you know, besides for the goodwill associated with doing these projects, it pulls in a lot of customers because, you know, you become the business that people want to hire. I kind of bring that up a lot. You know, direct response marketing is great and all that, but becoming the business that people want to hire ultimately you know, puts you in a good position, right? You know, at that point, you're not going to have to worry about tire kickers. You've got the branding, et cetera, and people come to you. Have you done any new community projects since the last time we spoke a year ago? I'm sure you must have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we have an active relationship with this local nonprofit called the Wanaskatucket River Watershed Council. They basically, there's this river that runs along a bike path that we always have something kind of actively going on with them. They're always almost inventing new stuff for us to help them out with which we don't mind doing, but it just, I didn't get a kick out of it, you know. Done a lot of that. I think that's been the biggest thing. I think normally a lot of our projects are kind of like planned in the spring when everything kind of happened this year. So uh, outside of the relationship with the Watershed Council, it's a little bit, people have been a little hesitant to do much of anything on the volunteer side of things in terms of different community service or any the products, projects that are trying to get off the ground. But, you know, we're always open to it. Like folks approach us randomly on things and you know, we're always open to having a conversation with people. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be back at it, you know, and pulling in more of those projects once kind of COVID clears up and it's a little bit more, what's the term, maybe socially acceptable, you know, to be out yeah, there. Probably, like, yeah, probably, like, yeah. I, mean, I don't know what it is, but yeah, right now it's kind of, 
you know, frowned upon to be too out there and too in, in the public. Yeah, it's a weird balance, yeah. It's, it's weird, yeah. It's so weird right now. So on that note here, before we wind things down, let me ask you, you know, over the last year, what has kind of been the biggest thing you've learned in business? And let's just try to shift gears away from marketing because, you know, naturally we kind of jumped down the marketing wormhole. And for those of you guys out there listening, we actually had a whole different entire topic that we kind of ran through and planned more on operations. We've pretty much just killed all the time that we set aside for recording this here on something totally different, which is fine. I think this is all great stuff. And I think a lot of people are going to want to hear about this. So what is something that you've learned kind of in the business over the last year that, you know, you think would benefit other people, you know, an eye opening move or a problem that you had, and maybe you didn't handle it right. But, you know, now in hindsight, you say, hey, here's how I could have handled it. I think the longer that I'm in business, the more important the number of gross margin seems to be underscored. Real talk here, listeners. Gross profit in numbers. Let me ask, are you spending way too much time putting out fires and dealing with BS in your business and not reaching the numbers you need? Look, the unfortunate reality is most residential contractors just have a glorified babysitting job. They can't grow. They can't scale. Their business wouldn't operate more than a few minutes without them. That's why I put together the Scalable Method. It's a step-by-step process to transforming your business into a scalable asset and putting you into the role of CEO, specifically for businesses with 5 to 30 employees. Besides implementing it in my own businesses, I've worked with business brokers and private equity investors to develop it. And over the last few months, I've worked with a few other residential contractors to implement it with great success. And now I want to work with more contractors. Look for a link somewhere around the podcast player where you can download the framework and process video, learn the method, the steps you need to take to build a scalable business so you can grow your revenue, increase profit, take some time off, and actually build an asset that you could sell one day. And if you're interested, the options for working with me personally. Now, let's get back to it with Tom. If you are any size business, whether you're, you know, you got a couple of guys working for you or you run like 100 people like all over the place every day, if you can keep tabs on your gross margin and you have a healthy gross margin number that you shoot for and really kind of measure to how you relate to that, your business is going to be fine. I think a lot of times people overthink business in general, particularly with contracting operations, with they get caught up in all these fancy KPIs that like, you know, oh, well, this is needs to be treated. This is, like, dude, the only thing you need is a healthy gross margin and to Absolutely. make sure your clients are healthy. If you yeah. can balance those two things, you're golden. You know, stop yep. overthinking it. Just shoot for that and you'll be fine, you know? Yeah, 110% agree with everything you said there. And on gross margin, it's one of those things where, you know, nothing else matters until you get your gross margin in line. If your gross margin is not in line, and, and also the rate at which you complete work, that's another thing that we need to talk about or kind of mention in it. Because, you know, if your guys are just taking two weeks to complete what should be a one-week project, you're going to have a lot of issues. I mean, your gross margin might be fine, but chances are your customers are going to be unhappy because your crew, obviously, as an indication of them taking so long, doesn't know exactly what the hell they're doing out there, etc. And if you have 50% gross profit, you know, but it takes you two weeks to earn $1,000 in gross profit, <laughs> which yeah. I, I guess that would mean that you had a bunch of people on staff at minimum wage, you know, you're not going to go anywhere. But a lot of people get focused on Overhead. I hear the term overhead and there's a you know a Facebook ad that's been following me around with a bunch of money on fire and a contractor yeah. with kind of his face in his palm, you know, right in front of that. That ad has been following me around for the last few weeks. But 
overhead doesn't really matter unless your gross margin is aligned. And I'll say that there's exceptions to every rule. And the exception is, is if you're a you know $10 million year operation and you've got three offices and 20 salespeople, yeah, then overhead's kind of a problem, but you shouldn't even get to that level until you've got your gross margin in line. And that's strictly you know for me selling a job, what direct material and direct labor do I have behind it? Yeah. And the good thing about a contracting business, at least on the residential end of things, is you know, if you botch one and you underbid it, well, you get a chance to learn from that. It's not like you're trying to compete with Walmart or a manufacturing facility where you got to buy the equipment and you got to buy the raw materials, you know, and that's going to last. You got to make that investment for what's going to be a one year, you know, production run or something. Your projects turn over pretty quickly on the residential side of things. So, you know, if you really botch one, you can still complete it, eat the costs and then learn from it. But, you know, you got to really dial in that gross margin number. And once you do that, you know, other things kind of fall into line or you can at least go ahead and work on them. Sure. I, mean, I always look at uh, projects that like have the bottom fall out of them as uh, paying tuition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just like you're learning and you know, it's okay to do it, but just don't keep doing it. Like learn from it and just figure out how you can do it next time. And, and that's the only way you grow is by yeah. going through these painful experiences. We do it all the time because we're wicked, like aggressive in terms of the diversity in terms of what we do. Because of that, we're constantly, you know, getting like projects that maybe be down a different vertical that we're used to doing. But if you don't go through those experiences, you don't learn. You don't know how to adapt and kind of grow. You know, and our and kind of what we do each and every day. I mean, one of the things that I struggle with, like you know, recently in most recent times, is we've been like known and we built a reputation as a big restoration contract of historical projects and things of that nature. So much so, like if you go to YouTube and you type in the term lead paint, you know, video of me comes up that I don't even know how it ended up coming up. You know, he's got yeah. thousands and thousands of views, but somehow I'm this, you know, go-to person in this, this sphere. And like those types of projects from a business standpoint, they, they're not, they take an awful long time to do and they're not high margin generators, but they're what kind of lead us to like all these other projects that have quick turnover in our high margin generated, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, I hate kind of doing them sometimes, but like, that's kind of why we get all this other work is because we can impress people with yeah, that type of work, you know? Yeah, you can impress people with that type of work, get them into your customer list and then left sell, right sell, cross sell, upsell, down sell and pull in all the other projects. And one of the things that I got to point out is you've obviously got a very awesome nurturing system and it's not a complicated nurturing system, but you know, you're sending out a weekly email, you're sending out a monthly print newsletter. It's content based. It's not saying, Hey, 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 buy for me. But you know, people get into your system for one project and then they come back for something else. And ultimately that, that increases the customer lifetime value, or I like to call it 12 month value because lifetime value is basically impossible and impractical to measure, but you get people coming back to you from other projects. So, I mean, two big key takeaways right there. You know, you pointed out that a, the school of hard knocks is expensive and that having a nurturing process or, you know, dripping content, which is nurturing your past customer base is extremely valuable. So we'll end on that note. Tom, thanks for joining me today on the contractor momentum podcast. Yeah, quite great being with you as usual. And I wish you continued success over there. You're doing some pretty good stuff down in Florida there. Yeah, same. Thanks to you. That's a wrap on this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. If you got something helpful or useful out of this podcast episode, do me a favor here. Pick up your phone, open up the podcast app, whichever one you use, 
iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and give us a review. I love hearing your feedback, and of course, if you have any questions for my guest or myself, head on over to the Contractor Momentum Lounge Facebook group and drop a new post.